0: today we're looking one final time at the series that we started several weeks ago where we began discussing the mind of Christ and what it means to have the mind of Christ. And today, as we have been in in previous weeks, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll read from verse 6 down to verse 16, although our emphasis today is on the final verses there, verse 14 down to verse 16. And we're going to be asking the question today, are you spiritually discerning dull, disinterested, or dead? And that's the type of thing that we should be wrestling with. It's a question we should be asking ourselves, and I think that this portion of Scripture invites us to be asking that. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 6, this is what it states. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God And now these last verses here, this is where we'll emphasize today, but in verse 14 it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of your word together today. And Lord, we pray that we would understand it. We pray that we would grow from it. We pray that you'd speak to us in this time. Lord, we know that it's such a privilege to be able to just carve out time in our day, to look at your word, to come before you in worship, to allow your spirit to speak to our minds and speak to our hearts. And Father, we pray that now as we look at this portion of Scripture together today, one final time, we pray that you'd help us to understand what it means to have the mind of Christ and that you'd help us in a very practical way to really wrestle with, with how that truth is applied to our day-to-day lives because we know, Lord, that you do want us to apply it. So we pray that you'd prepare our hearts to do that even now, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at this Scripture together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the greatest blessings that you and I possess as followers of Jesus Christ is his wisdom and his mind. And as we've been saying over the course of the past few weeks, as we've been looking at this this topic together, through Jesus, we've been granted a new perspective, we've been granted new eyes, we've been granted a new outlook, and there are things we are being divinely equipped to understand that the unbelieving world cannot comprehend, And I truly wish that the spiritual discernment that we've been granted as believers in Jesus Christ was an aspect of our salvation that was valued, appreciated, and utilized more than it is. And the older I get, and the more I observe the lives of those that I care about, I have to admit the more concerned I've started to become about many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who I'm seeing buying into the smoke screens and the delusions of the age in which we live in. And in every generation, I want to say this, and it it leads us up to the section that we're looking at today, but in every generation, there's something going on behind the scenes that some people perceive and some people don't perceive. And so I want to call it out today and just expose it for what it is, because in every generation, what you have is you have Satan attempting to propagate values and priorities that aren't biblical. It's happening in our generation. It happened in the generation prior to ours. These values are preached to us constantly through nearly every channel of communication and almost every source of entertainment that you can think of. And what happens is those values eventually begin to work their way into things like our textbooks, our conversations, our parenting trends, all sorts of things like that. And two things lead us, or leave us wide open to buying into them. Lack of prayer and lack of time in the Bible. If we spend very little time in prayer and very little time in scripture, we basically allowed ourselves to be wide open to being deceived with these worldly values. And what ends up happening is we buy into a mindset that we should be guarding against because our minds are being, uh, they're being fed a steady diet of worldly beliefs while at the same time being starved of the word of God. And so that's the dilemma we find ourselves in. And a portion of scripture like this that we're looking at today, I think in a very helpful way, helps us call that out so that we can identify it and course correct. And so as we prepare our hearts to look at this today, I just want to ask, are we willing to admit that this is a problem that doesn't just affect the culture, but it also affects the church? I see some of you nodding your head. That That's good affirmation, right? It doesn't just affect the culture. It also affects the church. And so, you know, even as we wrestle with this today, the big question that I'm encouraging us to ask is, are we spiritually discerning, dull, disinterested, or dead? It's good to be spiritually discerning, but we don't want to be spiritually dull. We don't want to be spiritually disinterested. And we certainly don't want to be spiritually dead. And again, this portion of Scripture, I think, invites us to to be wrestling with these concepts. There's a few things that are brought up in this portion of Scripture that I want to highlight for us this morning. And one of the principles that we're shown here in this passage is the fact that our mind, your mind, needs to be regenerated in order to have true spiritual understanding. Your mind needs to be regenerated. It needs to be made brand new in order to have true spiritual understanding. Look at what uh, Paul says in verse 14. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So notice what he's saying there. These are things that are spiritually discerned. So what he's saying is that our minds need to be regenerated in order to have true spiritual understanding. The other day, my youngest daughter and I were engaged in an interesting debate, and it was interesting because it, it was a healthy debate. It wasn't argumentative or contentious or anything like that. Sometimes when you're in, in the midst of debate, I don't always like to debate, by the way, because it sometimes becomes uh, argumentative. But we were actually having a healthy debate, a healthy discussion, and it did not become argumentative. But basically what we were discussing was a particular portion of Scripture, and we were talking about the application of that Scripture and whether we should interpret that, that particular verse as a hard and fast issue or if it's something that the Lord has allowed us to have some liberty in our understanding of how best to apply that particular passage. And I thought it was a really good discussion, and I enjoyed having that discussion with her, and I appreciated the spirit in which she approached that topic with me because she genuinely wanted to learn, and she genuinely was willing to give my viewpoint some consideration as she was trying to form an opinion. Now, my daughter values the teaching of Scripture because she trusts Jesus. And when you trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. So that forms a baseline that made that, I think, a productive conversation. But it's not necessarily the type of conversation that would go that way in all context. context. Because when you look at what Paul says here in this portion of Scripture, he describes a stark contrast to that worldview, a Christian worldview, right? A stark contrast to the, to the worldly worldview that many people embrace and he, he illustrates that in 1 Corinthians 2.14, which we just read a moment ago. But in that passage, you have Paul telling us that a person with a mind that has not been regenerated by the Spirit of God cannot understand the things pertaining to the Spirit of God. It's a foreign language to him. It sounds like foolishness. And he he reveals here that the unspiritual person probably scratches his head wondering why anyone would believe something that they cannot easily observe in nature. Now, I think there's a lot of irony in the worldly viewpoint. The unspiritual person thinks spiritual truth is folly, and he thinks that it it seems silly, or he he has a difficult time trying to fathom how, how we can place so much trust in a God that we cannot see. But I can't help but wonder how much such a person would be willing to examine the nature of their own beliefs or who they're placing their trust in, meaning everyone you've ever met this is you, this is everyone you've ever met everyone believes in things that they have not seen. Everybody believes in something they haven't seen. Everybody does. Everybody place their trusts in people they haven't laid eyes on. Everybody believes theories and ideas and opinions that they have not personally verified. Do you ever think about that? It can actually be a little bit troubling when you think about how many things we believe that we're like, have I ever really looked into this? I just kind of accept that to be the case, but is that the case? Have I ever really looked into this? Have you ever considered that much of what you believe actually comes down to the fact that you have chosen to trust the person who delivered the information to you first, and many of your core convictions are things that you've really never taken much time to research and really never taken much time to examine? You're you're believing the information that was delivered to you first, and then that becomes the baseline. Meaning, in our, you know, in our our day-to-day context right now, or an example of that, you know, if an online influencer or a, a celebrity got to your mind first, you might treat their opinion as verifiable truth. Or, on the other side, you know, if a teacher or a pastor or a parent got to your mind first, you may trust what they've chosen to tell you. And it may be accurate or it may not be accurate. But you're basing the way that you live your life and the way you treat your spouse and the way you raise your children and the way you relate to God on the information that was delivered to you in many respects first. And it may be false or it may be true, but primarily you're treating it as true unless you examine it or you're presented with information that counters it that you're willing to listen to. So what should we do about something like that? You know, when you find yourself, and it, it, I, so, like, I, I tend to think of myself as somebody that's not overly easily influenced. And then I look throughout the course of my life. <laughs> and by the way, I'm really glad that pictures, not too many pictures exist from when I was like 12, 13, stuff like that. But I look throughout the course of my life and I look at my hair. And I look at the shirts that I choose to wear. And I look at the clothing in general, and even the words that I choose to speak and things like that, and I think, boy, like I'm I'm really highly influenced by people in ways that I don't even realize I'm, I'm highly influenced by them. And when you look throughout seasons of time, we laugh at old pictures. Why do we laugh at old pictures? Because a hairstyle becomes a thing, and we all just go get it. Like, I guess that's what hair is supposed to look like now, right? It's like, you know, I, I'm really glad. <laughs> we didn't call it a mullet back then, but I definitely had one. I thought it was annoying when people started calling it a mullet. I was like, listen, I lived through that era. We didn't call that a mullet. It was just hair. It was just how hair was supposed to look. And then we unchanged it. But come on, that was a great hairstyle for its time, right? Maybe, maybe not. Let's just just let that be. But I am grateful that not too many pictures from that era exist. But the point being, there's all sorts of things that influence you and all sorts of things that influence me. And sometimes we just find ourselves just going right along with whatever's influencing us, and we don't think a whole lot about it or why we make certain decisions not realizing that in small ways and in big ways we're being influenced by all sorts of things that are all all around us. And again, many of the opinions that we hold come back to the first person who delivered information to us, and then that becomes the foundation for which we begin to see and interpret things. So again, what do we do about that? What should we do about that? I think one of the best examples of how we should address things like that as Christians is given to us in the book of Acts chapter 17. I'll bring it up here on the screen. But in Acts chapter 17, you're probably familiar with this portion of Scripture. Verses 11 and 12 speak about a group of individuals that really approached new information the right way. And this is what they did. In Acts 17, starting with verse 11, it says this. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So it's interesting. You have a context here where the message of the gospel is being proclaimed to this group of people, some of of which had a Jewish background, some of which had a Greek background. So it's a pretty diverse audience. And you have in this group of, of people here, those that say, "All right, this is interesting information." Is the the gospel's being presented to them? Is they're being encouraged to recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah? They're saying, "Wait a second, we need to actually see what the Scripture says about this." And it and, and it tells us here that they receive the word with all eagerness, and they exa- they examine the Scriptures daily. They examine the Scriptures daily, and. Notice the word daily, even as you're noticing that it says they examine the Scriptures. So you have them examining the Scriptures for themselves, but they're doing this daily. And how often in our lives would we be able to say that? Do we examine the Scriptures daily, or do we examine the Scriptures occasionally, or do we examine the Scriptures never? We just wait for somebody else to present it to us. What if what I'm saying is all made up? What if, for years, I've stood in this pulpit and just made stuff up? You know, if I just get in the pulpit and I'm like, what should I talk about today? Who knows? We'll see what comes to me. Right? That should be a dissettling, or like disconcerting feeling, right? An unsettling feeling. And this group of people, as they're hearing things preached to them that they're unfamiliar with, they're saying, wait, we need to look and see, is this true? Is this accurate? Do the scriptures which at least at this point they had confidence in the Scriptures, do the Scriptures actually teach these things? And they examined the Scriptures daily. They were searching the Scriptures for themselves with the goal to learn what was actually true. And that's a great example for us. That's a great example for you and for me, to be people who understand the Scriptures and search the Scriptures out Now, the natural person, coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul was referencing what he refers to as the natural person there, the natural person doesn't have the capacity, they don't have the power to discern spiritual truth. They are an open vessel for the whims and the wishes of destructive earthly fallacies fallacies to, to, to take hold in their mind. But those who trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture reveals to us that if we have have faith in Jesus Christ, we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit who leads us toward the truth and he uses his revealed word, which he encourages us to examine to help us differentiate between what is true and what is false. And so that's something that you and I have the blessing of. We have the blessing of the Holy Spirit living within us, pointing us in the direction of truth as we examine the word of God. So if you're willing to walk by faith in Christ, keeping in step with the Spirit you will understand what he's telling you. You walk by faith in Christ, keeping in step with the Spirit. You'll understand what he's telling you. But if you don't believe, or if you go throughout the course of your life fighting him, or if you never seem to get around to examining the Scriptures for yourself, I think you'll be ripe for deception. And this is what I think will happen eventually. I think Satan will gladly swoop in. He'll essentially put a bag over your head. He'll encourage you to spend however many decades the Lord gives you on this earth, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever you have, up to twelve, right? Decades on this earth, stumbling around in utter confusion while you wait for the world to tell you what to believe next. Do you ever look around and wonder why in one generation we'll culturally believe something that the previous generation thought was nonsensical? And do you ever wonder what the next generation will believe? That right now we would say that doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. What's taking place? Well, if you don't, if you're if you're not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and if you're not examining what the Scripture says and and holding your beliefs up to the revealed Word, word of God, what ends up happening is the devil just loves to kind of push you around. He loves to put like influence you to believe whatever the cultural whim is of the moment. R.C. Sproul used to refer refer to that as the Zeitgeist. Do you ever hear that term, the Zeitgeist? Just means the spirit of the times. The spirit of the times. You know, how about this? Back during the the era leading up to World War II, the Zeitgeist, the spirit of the times, was really big into eugenics. Do you know what eugenics is? Eugenics is basically where you treat people like they're expendable. You know, you manipulate people, you know, and you kind of look at it and you're like, all right, some people have to die, some people don't. You know, if they become less useful in society, you know, we can maybe just treat them as expendable and dispose of them and, and do whatever they do and you would say, alright, how does that impact culture? How does that, that mindset start to swoop around the world? And and we look at it and we're like, yeah, that was a real dark season in, in, in world history as that mindset of eugenics was starting to, to work its way into the minds of many people. And what ends up happening in, in Nazi Germany at the time where they start marching people to concentration camps and then taking them to gas chambers and exterminating them by the millions? Well, what happened? Well, behavior follows belief. So belief came first, and if you start treating people like they're just a commodity, not created in the image of God, and that they can be, expen- if, they, if they seem undesirable or not useful, that they could just be eliminated, it's like, all right, then they get eliminated, and that was a mindset that people approved of in that era. Now, we look at it and we say, that's ridiculous, that's silliness, but that was the zeitgeist, that was the spirit of the times. And when you hold that mindset up to the Scriptures and what Scripture teaches us, we quickly realize, all right, Scripture teaches us you don't go about treating people who have been created in the image of God like that. You don't do that. You don't treat people like that. You don't exterminate people because you don't like them or because you think that they are undesirable in some capacity. But you go back 100 years ago and people were starting to think, no, that kind of makes sense because they're not as useful. And because we, we think that they're unclean in some way, and so therefore we should just exterminate them by the millions. And that became a mindset that people applauded and people approved. And there's stuff going on right now in our culture that may not feel quite as extreme as that, but behavior follows belief. And there's all sorts of ungodly beliefs that are working their way into our mindset from time to time, if we're not holding our mindset up to what Scripture actually reveals. There are all sorts of ungodly things being proclaimed to our children, sometimes through authorities who should be telling them the truth that are not telling them the truth, sometimes through influencers that they listen to more than they ever spend time in the Scriptures. And what are they going to believe? There's a generation of people that are going to grow up hearing things that are untrue, but they're going to treat them like they're true because they're not really examining their beliefs in light of what the Scripture actually says. So we have a job, not only for ourselves, but for anyone that we have responsibility over, to expose them to the truth of the the Scriptures and to encourage them, if they proclaim to be believers in Jesus Christ, to utilize the mind of Christ, the perspective that Christ gives us so that we will see the truth and not buy into the current zeitgeist, the current spirit of the times, whatever that spirit may be telling us to believe. Now, there's something else that the Scripture points out to us that I want to point out in our time together as well, and that's this. In verse 15, it tells us that someone in a state of unbelief can't make accurate spiritual judgments. Look at what it tells us in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 2. It says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, you don't have to answer this out loud, and some of you would not want to answer this out loud probably, but have you ever had to stand before a judge? Again, you don't have to answer it out loud. Clean record here. I don't know who said it, but someone whispered it. I heard a yes from the congregation somewhere, right? Depending on your reason before uh, for standing before one, it can be a very intimidating experience. And when you're standing before a judge, what you do is you hope that the judge rules justly and makes the right decisions, but you always know that there's a risk that he very well may not. Now, when you become a parent, or if you're a coach, or if you're a teacher, or if you're an employer, you also effectively become a judge. I remember when I was directing a conference center, I directed it for five years, and I had to hire a staff, and we brought in all sorts of campers, and I had to make daily judgment calls with both campers and staff. I felt like one of my roles every single day was to operate as a judge, discerning what is a true statement, what is a false statement, and trying to get to the truth in one way or another. And I had to decide when to chastise and when to show mercy. And I had to try and decipher truth when competing stories were brought before me. And I still remember one particular camper who was accused of vandalizing part of the camp's property. And uh, that was a big no-no for me. And so when he was accused of this, he denied doing this, so I asked that he be brought before me. And, you know, all of a sudden in that, in that moment, it's like you're putting on the metaphorical judge's robe. I had him brought before me, and I looked at him in the face, and I confronted him with the details that I knew up to that point. And while I confronted him with those details, I carefully watched his facial expressions, and I carefully watched his body language. And then I finished my statement with this as I was watching him kind of squirm and look very uncomfortable, and his face kind of revealed his guilt to me, and I said, you did what you're being accused of, didn't you? And he looked at me and he said, yep, (laughs) I did. And I said, all right, thank you for your admission. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and fix it, and then let me know when it's fixed, and then we're cool. And he's like, okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to go back and fix it. He went back and fixed it. Everything was fine. He undid his vandalism. There were no further difficulties throughout the course of the week. But I had to make a judgment call. And I remember in that moment trying to figure out all right, what's true? Did the kid do it? Did the kid not do it? And I remember in that moment being grateful that in the end I felt like I had made the right call. Because that's a lot of pressure. You want to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul speaks of judgment. But he also makes it clear that an unspiritual person cannot make accurate spiritual judgments, while a spiritual person can. So an unspiritual person cannot make accurate spiritual judgments, but a spiritual person can. So if you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, your assessment of the value of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is going to differ greatly from the assessments of an unspiritual person your understanding of the nature and the need for salvation is going to differ greatly as well. And the unspiritual person very well may may not be able to see what you're seeing until their spiritual eyes are opened as well. Now think about the people that the Lord's allowed you to know throughout the course of your life and the people that you know right now at present. Are there people in your life at present right now that you're concerned about because you think that they may be either spiritually disinterested or spiritually dead. Do some of those people come to mind? If you know Christ, what role has the Lord called you to place in their life? You know what what role has the Lord called you to 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 actually um, fulfill in their lives? Christ is offering Himself to them just like He offered Himself to you, and in fact, He's making His appeal to them through your words and through your life. So if there are people like that in your life that you're concerned about, your task right now is to pray for them. Your task is to model genuine faith to them, to value them, to spend time with them, to speak to them, to pray with them, and to mentor them if they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope someone did that once for you as well. But if there are people like that in your life, your call is someone who's had their spiritual eyes opened is to fulfill that role in their day-to-day life. You have the Apostle Paul trying to do that for people during the era in which he lived in, and you and I are called to do that in the era in which we live in as well so that those that don't know the Lord can come to know the Lord. But there's one other thing that he brings up in this portion of Scripture that I want to share with us, and that's this. It's in verse 16 where he, I think, invites us to, to ask the question, are we making the best use of the insight and the understanding that's made available to us? Are we making the best use of what God has made to us or made available to us, the insight, the understanding? Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. Paul says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When I was a child, I used to spend a considerable amount of time at my grandparents' house. It was like my, my favorite place on earth to go. And in fact, I had two great sets of grandparents, and both of their houses were like, like just going to a place that, I don't know, it was just, I just enjoyed it. So those of you, I'm I'm looking at some of you that have the privilege already to be grandparents. That's a real gift. I I can't wait. Well, I, I can wait in a sense, but I can't wait in another sense uh, for the day when, when there are some kids that are going to call me grandpa. I'm really looking forward to that, you know, and as as I move into the next season of life, that's something that's very much on my mind. It's like, hey, that's what's coming down, coming down the line here. I can't wait. I think I'm going to be a great grandfather. Or, I'm going to be a terrible grandfather who thinks he's great at it, and we're going to have a lot of fun. It is going to be a blast. I don't know which of the two it's going to be. I lean toward the former, but it very well could be the latter. But either way, it's going to be with a big smile on my face. And I have to tell you, when I was a grandchild, loving to spend time at my grandparents' house, they had end tables, uh, at, at my, my grandparents' house in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania that doubled as bookshelves. And my great aunt also lived there with my grandparents, and she was like a bonus grandmother to me. She was always buying books and always buying things to read. And growing up for a while, I would just run past those end tables and not think too much about those books. And I remember while I was still at a pretty young age, I stopped running past them and started picking up the things that were on them and, and started reading them. And one of my favorite things to read was an almanac of American history that my aunt had purchased. And I would sit down for a long time, and I would just read through this almanac. And I was fascinated by it. And every time I'd come and visit, I'd take that almanac out, and then I would read it a little more, and I'd read it a little bit more. And uh, it was kind of interesting, as I got older, uh, my aunt actually gave it to me. She's like, you know, when you were growing up, you were always fascinated with this almanac. Do you just want it? And I was like, yes, I want it. I still have it. It It's fascinating to me. But it's amazing what happened to my history grades once I stopped walking past the books and started picking them up and actually reading them. And I'm bringing that up because I want to ask this. Do you ever feel like you're walking right past the insight and understanding that the Lord's offering you? Now, for a long time, I just would run right past those books, not think anything of it. Then I finally picked him up and all of a sudden I was learning things. And sometimes I wonder if in, if in our lives we're just walking right past the insight and the understanding that the Lord's made available to us. Now, the way Paul phrases things here, you know, he states things in such a way that he's saying, look, it's obvious that we're not in a position to instruct the Lord about anything. You know, the Lord is omniscient. He knows all things, right? The way he says it here, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So we're not in a position where we, you know, we're instructing the Lord or anything like that. He's omniscient. We are not. The Lord knows all things. His thoughts are above our own. I like what it says in Isaiah 55 verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So the Lord's thinking is far above our own. And Paul acknowledges that here in this verse. But as Paul wraps this up and you look at the second half of that verse, he does so with a very clear de- declaration. He says, But we have the mind of Christ. That's how he phrases it here. We have the mind of Christ. He's stating here that if we know Christ, we have been blessed with the mind of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we are made able to see what He sees, and we are made able to think what He thinks. And so my question for us are, is, are we making the best use of that ability? Are we making the best use of that ability? Because if, if you possess the mind of Christ, what ends up happening is you begin to see yourself from God's perspective. You see your value from the eyes of God. You see your purpose from the eyes of God. You begin to see yourself from God's perspective. And then you also be, you begin to see others from the perspective of God because you have the mind of Christ. So you see people differently. You understand their motives differently. You look at them in a more loving way because you recognize that just as you were, they too were created in the image of God. And just as the Lord showed love to you when you didn't deserve it, you're invited to show love to them, even though they may not deserve it. And so you begin to see yourself different. You see other people differently as well. And here's another benefit that I want to mention as we finish up today, but I want us to hear this hard. Like, I want this to to be something that really sticks in our mind and sticks in our heart because it's absolutely true. Possessing the mind of Christ enables us to understand more clearly the times in which we live. Do you understand what time it is? Do you understand when you're alive? Do you understand what's going on? You know, when you look at what Scripture tells us in multiple places, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 32, it speaks about the men of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel. And they're complimented in a particular way in that chapter. It says, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. They, so the compliment that's paid of them is that they understood the times. They understood when they lived in God's economy, in God's perspective, in in human history. They understood it. And because they understood it, they also understood what they should do as people living in those times. Well, let's take it now to the New Covenant, to this era in which you and I live. And in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. He's saying, walk as people who are wise, wise with the wisdom of the Spirit, wise with the mind of Christ, recognizing that you actually live in a time that's filled with all kinds of evil. But that evil does not need to be invited into your life, and it doesn't need to be invited into your mind. Understand the times you live in so that you don't buy into something that's actually meant to destroy you. The mind of Christ is given as a gift to all believers. Don't waste that gift. Understand the times in which you live. Walk in the wisdom of the Spirit. Resist the fallacies of the evil one. Because those fallacies are competing for space and they're competing for dominance in your mind. But again, if you trust in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. And you don't need to buy into the cultural zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. In every generation, there's... This emphasis and that emphasis, and then when we hold it up to the light of Scripture, we discover it's not biblical at all. And so if it's not biblical at all, it doesn't need to be part of your life if you if you desire to be a growing, maturing Christian. This world operates on a whim. Every tide that comes through, the world changes its opinion. Twenty years from now, there are going to be things that people believe that right now we would think are crazy. And right now, there are things that people believe that 20 years ago we would have looked at and said, all right, that's absolutely crazy. Why do so many people believe it? Why do they believe it? Because they're not operating with the mind of Christ. And we, as believers, are challenged and commissioned and encouraged in Scripture to live as men and women who have the mind of Christ and hold it all up to the Scriptures and live your life accordingly no matter what the cultural pressure may be, no matter what the cultural influences may be, saturate your mind, saturate your heart with the truth of the Word of God. Be like the Bereans who looked at the Word of God and examined it, not just occasionally, not just now and then, not just when somebody else was presenting it to them, but they looked for themselves daily. And because we're given the mind of Christ as the Holy Spirit indwells us, when you look at the Word of God, the Spirit's going to make sense of it for you. And you're going to understand things. And you're going to have lots of aha moments. And you're going to feel blessed. And you're going to feel comforted. And you're going to feel encouraged. And the whole world could be blowing up around you, but because your heart is anchored in Christ and the truth of His promises, you're going to be able to keep it in proper perspective because you'll understand the times. That things might be messy, but Christ is coming soon. And you'll be present with Him forever if you know Him. And you have lots of good things to look forward to if you're called His child. If you're one who who lives as part of the family of God, united to Christ as part of the family of God, a child of God the Father, you have that kind of future to look forward to, a a future of joy, a future of peace, a future of hope that cannot be tarnished or destroyed or taken away from you no matter what takes place in the here and now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the things that you remind us of as we look at your word. And Lord, we recognize that we live in an interesting time, but we're not the first group of people to live in interesting times. Every generation, to one degree or another, lives in interesting times. But Lord, we pray that we would understand the time in which you've allowed us to live. And that we would understand that there are things that are vying for the attention of the unbelieving world but that we as believers don't need to adopt those things into our mindset. Lord, we don't need to spend our lives confused. We don't need to spend our lives buying into things that are really unhealthy and unwise. Lord, we want to be spiritually discerning so we don't become spiritually dull or disinterested. And Lord, we pray for those who right now are spiritually dead. We pray that they would come to know you. We pray that they would experience new life through you. We pray that you would use us to be part of that process. But Lord, we know that if we just go along with the spirit of the times, we offer no contrast. We offer no insight. We just buy into what everybody else is buying into, and that's not what you've called us to do. So Lord, help us please to see the things that you've called us to see. Help us to see what is true. Help us to filter out lies. And help us to adopt a mindset that's in line with the truth of your scriptures. And help us to be people, likewise, who who know the Scriptures for ourselves so that we're not buying into things that we shouldn't buy into. Again, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege that you've given to us over the past few weeks to be wrestling with what it means to have the mind of Christ, the mind of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we're united to your Son as one family, we pray that we would go throughout the course of our lives living with that perception, seeing things the way you see things, and making decisions accordingly. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness, we're grateful for your love, and we're grateful for the privilege to be able to come together today and worship you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list, And take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care.